0: I really think this is our chance for youth to say, like, listen. Let's put this pandemic behind us. Kids have suffered a lot this year in many different ways. And I want next year school season to be in-person and active and healthy and full of hugs and full of like <laughs> really great experiences. But to do that, we need as many people as possible to get vaccinated. And so I would really encourage uh, youth to share their thoughts and experiences with everything from their parents to their friends, to their parents' friends, <laughs> the teachers, whoever, uh, because you guys are great about it. And you have connections in ways that we don't.
1: From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from socially distanced teenagers and young adults. I'm Atme producer Quinn White, recording this here in the Atme studio. It's been over a year since we've closed down the studio and we've been working from home. Usually we're recording these intros on our phones or tablets huddled underneath a blanket in our closet or something. But now that many of us are fully vaccinated, we've been able to reopen the studio in limited capacity. With so many Alaskans getting vaccinated and with the Pfizer vaccine now available for anyone ages 12 and up, we thought it would be a good time to check in with Dr. Ann Zink. She is Alaska's chief medical officer and we're thrilled to have her back for a fourth time. Atme senior producer Danielle Duclos talked with Dr. Zink about how mRNA vaccines work, hesitations people may have about the vaccine, and what it means for Alaska's youth now that they are eligible. They spoke on May 12th, just hours before U.S. health advisors okayed the Pfizer vaccine for ages 12 and up.
2: So yeah, how have things been going?
0: Yeah, no, things are good. Uh, Super excited for summer. Um, We know Alaskans, get out and do things a lot of our economy and our business and and things happen during the summer. So uh, really excited for that. and really excited uh, to be having the opportunity to vaccinate more people. So today is the ACIP meeting um, for the 12 to 15 year old group. And we anticipate that it's going to be approved today uh, from them. I did get the FDA approval, which is fantastic to see. And so hoping later this afternoon, we're starting to vaccinate 12 to 15 year olds. So
2: I don't know, super excited. Wow, that's perfect. You just answered my first question without me even having to ask it, so that was great. So um, it's expected today. If the approval comes through from the council, then you're going to start vaccinating this afternoon?
0: Yeah, so it's kind of a little bit of a confusing process. Typically, what happens with a vaccine uh, kind of pre-COVID is that the data would get submitted to the FDA. They would look through it. They would make a decision if it was a safe and efficacious vaccine. And then they would hand the data over to the ACIP, which is an advisory committee on immunization practices. And then they look at it and they look at like, what age group and should we do it with other vaccines? You know, Kind of thinking about vaccine schedules, thinking about the whole picture in vaccines. And then they give a recommendation. And then the CDC says, we agree with all of this, we approve it. So normally it's kind of a very stepwise process, but with COVID what happened, is both the ACIP and the FDA get the data separately. And they basically say, you look at the data separately, but do it at the same time so that we can speed up this process. So it's a good example of how like steps were not cut, corners weren't cut, but things were done in parallel. So the FDA got the 12 to 15 year old data and the ACIP got the 12 to 15 year old data. The ACIP scheduled their meeting for Wednesday and then kind of, we didn't know, but lo and behold, the FDA just announced on Monday, they were done reviewing it and they approved it. And so there's a little bit of a, a time gap in the fact that both are going at the same time. So technically the FDA is the regulatory body who says this is safe and efficacious. So people can give it right now. It's not a medication error if people give it right now, but we usually wait for the ACIP to kind of give us any more, any more data, any more information and have both those steps uh, at the same time. And then the other thing that happens is usually a couple of days after the CDC puts out an MMWR, a morbidity and mortality review, to give a lot more information. Like this is, this is how many people in the placebo group. This is how many people in this group. They just help to process that information. So people can take a look at that data and information. So if people are, you know, have more questions, I guess I would just say there's a lot of information coming uh, in the next week and have uh, information. Other people don't have nearly as many questions and are just anxious to vaccinate. uh, So it's technically not a medication error to get vaccinated in the 12 to 15 year old age group as of now. Um, So we're just a little bit of an in-between zone right now.
2: Awesome. That's so exciting. Next next big group to get, get vaccinated. Sure. Um, and I know we talked about in our last episode uh, how the vaccine works, but would you mind just giving a quick rundown for our listeners about um, what an mRNA vaccine is just real quick?
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to talk about it. So an mRNA vaccine is basically a way to teach your body how to take down the virus if you see it. way that i heard described of it recently was thinking about it as like reading a recipe Uh, you uh your body uh uh, may choose to make you know the meal all sorts of different ways if it sees the virus itself Um, but when you have the recipe you know exactly how to make the response that you need to take down that virus so if you get COVID and you've not been vaccinated, it's kind of like a choose your own adventure response. Your body may uh, get really crazy and do lots of cytokines and make you super sick. Uh, your might, body might be really good at it and target it and you're very asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. Uh, and it really depends. Or your body may make kind of antibodies to a different part of it that then when you see the virus again, uh, you don't take it down very well because that part of the virus has changed. Or you may not remember it very long because you just saw it one time, all happens. But when you get the mRNA vaccine, basically what it is, is it is an mRNA little strand, which is a series of amino acids, little proteins. That is the recipe. That's a little recipe that tells your body how to make the spike protein. It's surrounded by a fat particle, a little lipid particle and that helps to stabilize it because mrna falls apart super quickly and so it's that and that's why we have to freeze it kind of like think about freezing butter how it becomes hard uh versus when the warm becomes soft that's why these have to be stored at cold temperatures is to kind of keep that fat particle kind of (laughs) cold until it's used and then it's sitting in some salts and sugars and then right before they give it to you they dilute it they put some salt water in it so that's all that's in an mrna vaccine that's it No cells, no preservatives, no microchips, no metal, uh, no pork. Um, Those are questions we get all the time. That's all it is. And that's part of the reason they were able to develop it quite quickly is because it doesn't require cell growth. It just requires this kind of chemical reaction to make the mRNA. When they put it in your arm, what happens is it's now warm. And so that mRNA kind of starts to become exposed outside of that fat particle. And the cells in that area pick that up. It does not enter your DNA. It does not enter your nucleus. It cannot change your DNA. It cannot change your nucleus, but your body sees that message and it's, it starts to make spike proteins because it reads that recipe. And it's like, oh, I'm supposed to read this. And it reads that recipe. It makes these spike proteins and it puts the cells, the spike proteins up on your cell. Again, when you get the virus itself, all of that virus enters your cell with all of that RNA. So people don't, I think sometimes realize that COVID circulates your whole body and enters lots of your cells, uh, normally with a whole bunch of messages. So this just enters your cell and then your body puts up the spike protein. The mRNA vaccine is then destroyed within a few hours. So it does not linger. It doesn't last in your system for a long time. So we get a lot of questions like how about long-term side effects? What's this going to do lingering again? It's destroyed super fast. It, as soon as it is that, that, Fat particle kind of falls apart, the mRNA is destroyed by enzymes because our body is meant to take apart these mRNA. They are not recipes aren't supposed to last for a long time. You know, you serve the dinner, you don't keep the recipe around. uh, And that's the same sort of thing. It kind of gets rid of that really quickly. And then your body sees those spike proteins and it says, wait, I don't know this. This isn't familiar. I need to go ahead and take this down. And so it creates an immune response to that spike protein. And so that's what can make your arm sore. That's what can make you kind of not feel well. That's what can give people even a fever is your body's creating a response to that spike protein. And it's like, I've seen you and I'm ready for you if you come again. And the reason we get two shots with the MRNA is it's like seeing flashcards twice. You see it a second time. You're like, wait, I've seen this. I'm ready to go again. And it helps to bring that long-term memory or that T cell memory because you have a different type of part of your immune system that remembers things for a long time. And basically it's just making your immune system strong. And so that when you get exposed to COVID-19, your body's like, "We have seen this and I'm ready to take it down. And it has both B cells that can give antibodies and T cells for long-term to take it down. And so you destroy it really quickly. And that's what makes you less likely to get COVID, less likely to get long COVID, less likely to be hospitalized, less likely to die and less likely to transmit it to other people. Is because you have a strong, robust immune system. And so, uh, you know, we get a lot of comments like, Shouldn't we just be really promoting our immune system? Absolutely. You should hundred percent be promoting your immune system, like exercising, eating well, taking care of your mental health, but a way that we promote our immune system as we get vaccinated because we teach it how to take down this virus in a way that doesn't hurt us, but takes down the virus. And so that's how mRNA
2: vaccines work. That was a really great breakdown. <laughs> thank you. Um, I was talking with my producers, how you always give like great analogies for people who are like me, who don't understand like a whole lot of the science so that you do a really great job with that. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so since uh, you just said all the reasons why it's important to get vaccinated, but for young people, you know, they are least likely to suffer from severe illness and same for people who already had COVID, you know, they might, it's less likely for them to you know, get it again, but why should they still get vaccinated? Like, why is that important?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, young people do have great immune systems, and many do take down that virus super quickly. And as you mentioned, less likely to get it, less likely to be hospitalized, less likely to die. It's not perfect, however, so we do see young people who are hospitalized on a regular basis uh, for it. We've had many in Alaska that have been hospitalized under the age of 18. I think we've had 63 at this point. Uh, we've been very fortunate, and none have died. No uh, pediatric deaths in the state, but we have had pediatric deaths nationwide. But the bigger thing that I think about for young people to get vaccinated, again, most tend to do just very well, is you're less likely to spread it to other people and you're less likely to have it impact your life. So say you're on a sports team, someone else gets COVID and you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine anymore. So you can just go ahead and hang out and keep doing your sport. Someone else in your classroom gets COVID, you don't have to have that classroom shut down. You can keep that classroom in person and you can keep meeting with people. And then you go visit your grandma. And even if your grandma's vaccinated, if we have a lot of COVID spreading, these vaccines aren't 100% perfect. And so it decreases the chance that you'll transmit it uh, to them and you'll get them uh, sick and ill. So uh, having young people vaccinated helps to not only protect them from disease, which we do see in young people, helps to make sure COVID doesn't impact your life because we're all done with COVID and we want to like get on with things and have prom and have graduation and have jobs and not worry about it. And it helps you to protect your community. It helps you to protect your mom, your dad, your grandparents, who maybe can't get vaccinated or maybe who, you know, uh, have a weaker immune system. Or, you know, we have people all the time who suddenly get sick and need chemo or other things where their immune system is suddenly weakened. And then if you're vaccinated, it's just less likely that you'll give it to them if their immune system's weakened, even if they're vaccinated. So um, it's, it's a part of being in our community and taking care of each other.
2: Yes, definitely. And as for people who have already had COVID, why should they get vaccinated? Why is it important? You know, they might think, oh, I already had it. I'm not going to get it again, but why should, why should they still go get that? It's a great question. We do
0: get that a ton as well. And it's just like we were talking about with like the, the seeing it twice, like seeing that long term memory when your body gets COVID, who knows how you respond. People respond in very different ways. And so say you create antibodies to the shell and not to the spike. Well, say the shell changes a little bit, that spike is what's needed to get into your cells specifically. And so it comes back around and you can get it again. So we see many people who get COVID twice because of that. Your antibodies can decrease over a period of time. Again, it depends on how type, what type of immune response you've had. And so these vaccines are designed to make sure that you have a longer lasting response there are also variants like the p1 variant where we see younger people get reinfected and we see younger people die and that's because of the way that the body's natural response is versus the vaccine response and so variants are at higher risk if you are not vaccinated um and so just just because you avoided the car accident the first time doesn't mean I wouldn't recommend that you wear the seatbelt um so again this is just additional protection to you you do have really good response for probably at least 90 days some people more um but it's a bit hard to tell and, and it's, um, I don't think any of us only wants to deal with COVID for 90 days. We don't wanna go with COVID for years. Um, and the vaccine provides better and longer protection than natural infection. I would also say this is not unique to this vaccine. The way that vaccines are designed, they're designed to be two things. Number one, safe. They're the safest thing we do in medicine and two efficacious it's not fun for us to go around and try to make sure that people get their boosters and the rest of it and so trying to create a way that the immunity lasts longer is part of vaccine development Uh, and so making sure that you've got long lasting protection is a key part of vaccine development and uh, not a key part of the natural infection so uh, it's why we even if you've gotten COVID, we really encourage people to get vaccinated
2: Awesome. Yes. I, I already had COVID. I just got my second dose on Friday. I'm super excited. Go. It went really well. Um, I definitely had some like soreness and I was tired and had a little bit of a headache, but I mean, I just took a nice long night's sleep, drank lots of water and I was good to go. So good to go. yeah.
0: Great. That's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. It's interesting how different people have different responses. <clears throat> I think people really expect to have a high fever or a really bad response, but most people are like, you maybe a little sore, a little tired, but otherwise yeah. okay.
2: which is like, I could have that reaction with other vaccines like I've gotten other vaccines and had a sore arm and so it wasn't really that different for me I feel like than other vaccines but um, so speaking of kids being able to get vaccinated kind of the younger ages of 12 to 15 how should kids talk with their parents about getting vaccinated if they want one do they need parental consent in order to get a vaccine how does that work
0: yeah. So if you're not an emancipated youth, if you uh, are, you know, still living with your parents and they technically have legal control over you, uh, that you they do need to consent for you to get vaccinated. They don't have to be with you in person. Um, and so some of the school districts, for example, are sending home consent forms, and people, their parents, can consent. Um, in general, being able to make that decision with your parents and having them there it is an easier and better decision because we want to make sure everyone's on board with it and all of their questions were answered and asked. We are setting up a lot of evening vaccine clinics and drive-through clinics. Uh, so parents who are working can take their kid after work and do it together. Um, because in general, I think the more we're doing as a family together, the better off we are, including that making that decision. But we also just want to make it as easy as possible for people uh, if they are choosing to get vaccinated to go ahead and do it together. So
2: you do need consent
0: unless you're an emancipated adult.
2: Awesome. So. How should a kid approach having a conversation with their parent if the child wants to get a vaccine, but the parent is maybe a little more hesitant or not so on board with that? How should they go about having that conversation with their parent?
0: I love that you asked this question because I think that uh, kids and youth, like, you are so engaged and have the great understanding of the science and have decisions and life goals that you all want to do um and i think sometimes our conversation is about parents making the decision and i think having empowering both youth and parents together to make that decision is is critical i think sharing with your parents and why you're interested in getting vaccinated mom i want to get vaccinated because i can have sleepovers i want to get vaccinated because my sports team is really important for me and i don't want any need to quarantine I wanna get vaccinated because my grandma uh, you know, recently got diagnosed with cancer and I don't wanna to have to worry about the chance that I might be able to bring it to her. So just sharing your experiences, you know, everyone's experience of why uh, they wanna get vaccinated or what their experience with COVID really is different um, across the spectrum, so sharing it. I actually have numerous friends whose children got vaccinated before they did. They were not sure, they were a little bit hesitant, but their kids made really good arguments to their parents and why they wanted to get vaccinated uh, and that actually inspired their parents to get vaccinated. Um, and I think encouraging your parent to do it with you, you know, let's go together. Like this is, this is both of us and let's just put this behind us. And so encouraging uh, your parent, if you are interested in getting vaccinated to consider making that a family affair uh, and going with them. So you can both get your questions answered and uh, you can both get it done at the same time.
2: Definitely, yeah. I brought one of my roommates with me to get vaccinated and it was just a much better experience and we celebrated afterwards. So it's if you can have people go with you and, and make a day out of it, then that can be really great. Yeah. Yeah. The other
0: thing I've been seeing is people making events out of it. So, you know, they have a whole bunch of group of friends getting vaccinated the same day and then planning some event when they're both two weeks, when they're all two weeks post vaccine, some indoor big event without masks that they can celebrate together. So, you know, let's celebrate the end of this pandemic. Uh, Do it with family, do it with friends, go then plan a trip to grandma, like go do something that you've really missed out on this year once you're all vaccinated. So um, I love that idea of doing with other people.
2: Yes yeah, and having a little celebration it makes it all that much more fun. Um, so we have the vaccine anyone above the age of 16 and pretty much now the 12 years old is available now and so the really the biggest hurdle is just getting the vaccine into people's arms and getting people to go get the vaccine and hesitancy is a big part of that and so how can someone have a productive educational conversation with a friend, a family member, someone in their community who was hesitant about getting the vaccine without making them feel like they're being manipulated or belittled in their concerns.
0: I think it's important to acknowledge that vaccine is a choice and to get vaccinated is a choice and giving people that space. You know, if you choose to get vaccine, it's your choice. Um, I also think that doing it out of a place of empathy and not making assumptions. I think we have a lot of assumptions that you know people don't want to get vaccinated because they don't believe the virus is real, or they're an anti vaxxer or some other reason that may be totally false and off base. And so I think just being open with people and asking them, like, what are your questions about vaccination? Why are you thinking about getting it? Why are you not thinking about getting it? I've been amazed when I ask that question. You know, sometimes it's like I, I'm scared of the needle size. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll show you the needle size. <laughs> like that's easy. Like that, I can, I can. That's a solvable problem. I paid the other day in the ER who I thought for sure was like not going to want to get vaccinated. I just said, do you need know, any questions about vaccination? He's like, yeah, I can't figure out where to get it. It's like, I will get you an appointment right now. And you can go straight from here to there. He's like, that'd be great. I'm like, okay, sounds good. So just really not making assumptions about people, I think is the biggest thing and treating people with the kindness and compassion that we would want to be treated with. Um, and then making sure that they have access to reliable, trustworthy resources. There is a tremendous amount of misinformation out there. And to me, as a physician, it's heartbreaking because I see people making decisions um, for really legitimate reasons. They're scared. They're nervous. They don't want to hurt themselves. They don't want to, you know, cause infertility in their friends or family. They don't want to get sick, Um, but that's all misinformation. And how do we make sure that they have access to reliable, trustworthy information? A couple of things we're doing in Alaska. You can request a physician bureau, a group of physicians to come to any meeting you want. So everything from a coffee club to a book club to a PTA meeting uh, and to just answer questions so that people can get their questions directly answered. We have a bunch of information online with the DHSS website on covidvax.alaska.gov to try to provide reliable trustworthy information. But trust me, you would not want me to be your electrician um, and that is not my skill set. But just like you wouldn't want me to be an electrician, talking to your private primary care provider Talking to a trusted resource is the person who's going to have the experience and the history to interpret all this data and make sense of what really is a risk and what's not a risk, and help you just like we would ask a plumber or an electrician to help us with the other tools and resources that we need in our house. That's that's their area of expertise. So I'd really encourage people to talk to their primary care provider um, if they have further questions.
2: Definitely, yeah, that was a great, great another analogy. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely even had some friends who I was like, "Why aren't you? Why aren't you vaccinated?" They're like, "Oh, I just haven't done it." I'm like, "Here's the link," and they just signed up right there. So even it can be as simple as just giving that little push of, "This is how you do it." Um, I'm glad you brought that up because when we look at the data uh, in general
0: people are becoming more open to getting vaccinated as they have seen more people get vaccinated and seeing its safety and efficacy, which is great. So the really kind of staunch, I'm not gonna do it, has actually been getting smaller. Um, And the majority, even when we did polling in Alaska, of the people who had not been vaccinated, 65% said they were open to it and just needed more information. And so, and that information may be, where do I get vaccinated? I just have these other questions. Is this gonna take me down? I haven't gotten around to it. So sometimes providing access or uh, making it just as easy as possible, helping them find a site. Uh, This is our sleeves up for summer campaign in May, where we're trying to increase vaccine by 25% in each borough. Uh, So there are tons of fun events. Uh, In Fairbanks, there was a movie theater event where you could get vaccinated and see a movie. There's been uh, all sorts of prizes and kind of awards that different communities are doing, but we're just trying to make it as easy as possible. Like you said, some people just haven't gotten around to it. Um, And we're not here to convince people who feel really strongly about it. We're not here to shame. Uh, We just want to make sure that people have trustworthy, honest, open information, and it's easy and accessible because people got a lot of things going on besides COVID. (laughs) So we want to make sure we respect (laughs) that.
1: We'll be right back. Even though all of us at Atme have been working from home during the pandemic, we are still looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much, much more. Plus, all of that is paid work. So if you are between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska, and interested in joining Atme, go to alaskateenmedia.org. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to Danielle's interview with Dr. Ann Zink.
2: And so then the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, um, Mm -hmm. the temporary pause that was put on that, I think it might be safe to say that that kind of increased some fears possibly for people. So could you kind of explain in layman's terms what happened with the blood clots and why, despite there being some incidents, the vaccine is still being administered?
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So when we're looking at the safety and efficacy as a vaccine, again, vaccines are the safest thing we do in medicine because you're taking an otherwise healthy person and you're giving them something and you really don't want to make them sick or ill in any way. So it's incredibly important that safety and efficacy are, is, is paramount. So they do these phase two, phase three trials to look for any concerns, but when you scale it up to millions of people, there's always a chance that there's going to be this kind of signal. You're going to start to see things that you might've missed when you were only doing tens of thousands of people. And that's why there's a really active ongoing monitoring system really throughout the vaccines, but really focused on those first couple months is when we see, you know, just the most kind of attention and focus to see if there's any abnormal kind of safety signals that are raising. So there's a bunch of different ways that those are reported in. Uh, there's one place called the VAERS. So if there's anything as a clinician that you see that might be at all related to, uh, to the vaccine, you enter it. You don't have to say it's causative. You don't have to know, you just put it in. Like I had a person who had an arrhythmia from their heart and they'd gotten vaccinated four days beforehand. It's an incredibly common arrhythmia that I see all the time in people her age with her risk factors all the time totally on it without vaccine but i still entered it because i'm like i'm not sure if we're seeing more or less of this and i want to make sure that this is as safe as efficacious as we can and so what happened with the johnson and johnson's those data are being entered it's being monitored and they saw a couple cases of a really rare type of blood clot uh, and that was, so it was a blood clot that can happen in the belly and in the brain and at the same time the platelets are low and we use platelets to kind of help cause clots Uh, So it's kind of weird platelets go low, which could cause more bleeding but these people were developing clots. So kind of an abnormal thing and happening more than you would expect at baseline. This is a pretty rare thing and expecting more than baseline. And as a result, they saw a couple of those cases. Actually, they saw six cases like that out of 6.8 million doses given. And they paused the whole vaccine process to learn more. They said, This is a safety signal we don't know if it's real or not we need to pause so that we can understand this better so i think the johnson and johnson pause was an example of how the system works and why we should really kind of trust the system uh, because they did they paused it In that process, they asked clinicians, got a lot of media, a lot of attention, report any case that you might have potentially seen that could potentially be, are we not catching everything? Let's see what else we might be missing. And out of that, there were 15 total cases that met criteria that were reported. So they reviewed all of that data. They looked at the different age groups. These are only in women. They tended to be women in their 30s and 40s. And they even looked in that age group. And again, even with the Johnson & Johnson vaccines having this rare, potentially fatal blood clot, If that same group got COVID, they were still much more likely to be hospitalized and still much more likely to die from COVID than they were of the vaccine, even in those groups. And as a result, they made the decision to go ahead and just open it back up to everyone, but they want people to be educated and informed about this potential risk for blood clots. So particularly women in their 30s or 40s, or anyone who's got significant blood clotting history, I would think twice about the Johnson & Johnson because of this very rare safety signal. The other thing too is we've got two other great vaccines out there we've got the you know the, we're, you have an option and so you can do pfizer or moderna and we don't see those safety signals at all with those vaccines i would also mention that covid causes clots covid causes a lot of clots i had a 21 year old who had a heart attack big old clot in his heart after he got COVID, and so we see young people who develop clots all the time post covid way more so than we see clots post vaccine. So again, we're kind of weighing kind of those risks and benefit. And again, just wanna make sure that people have honest information, they can make honest decisions about what it looks like. And to me, the Johnson and Johnson pause really spoke to how the process works the safety and why we continue to monitor these ongoing and why I feel really confident in the vaccines that we have and that them being out there, particularly the Moderna and the Pfizer, which were at hundreds of millions of doses now. And we're not picking up any of those safety signals. The only safety signals we're picking up are the anaphylaxis, that really kind of bad reaction that can happen somewhere between two out of six cases per million doses that are given, or kind of that arm swelling, fatigue, fever uh, that we can see. However, I'd even state that like 33% of people who got a normal saline shot after vaccine said they were fatigued and they were tired. <laughs> so I think maybe we're all just a little tired at the end of this pandemic. Um, <laughs> and you know, things we were incredibly human, both if we got vaccinated or if we didn't. So those things can happen. <laughs>
2: Yes, definitely. I, I can see that happening, the placebo being a little bit um, causing you to think that you might be a little tired. Um, so then a big push recently, and I know we talked about this in some past episodes, is localizing the initiatives and using community voices that people recognize and that they trust to talk about getting vaccinated. And I know Alaska has been really pushing for that. So how has Alaska used trusted community voices to advocate throughout the state for vaccines? And are they medical professionals? Are they more local leaders? And how have these trusted has been used?
0: That's a great question. Um, when we look nationally, the most trusted resource is your private provider, your primary care. However, when we look at Alaska's data, it's not that. It's friends and family. Friends and family are the most trusted resource in Alaska for for vaccine. And so we really want people to talk about their vaccine experience with their friends and family. You are the trusted resource and we are here to share information, to provide resources. But I would encourage people to consider being very public about it, asking their friends why they haven't gotten vaccinated. Like you mentioned, helping your friends schedule an appointment, helping to overcome those things. Uh, But really, I think Alaskans have really strong communities and we trust our community, we rely on our community. And so we need communities to be able to share this message uh, with each other. Um, We try to, you know, make sure people have the resources and tools they have, like the Physicians Bureau or, you know, things like this or meeting with schools just to make sure that message is out. But I will tell you, there is good data for other health initiatives, like stopping smoking, that kids have the potential to change that conversation. When kids tell their parents, I need you to stop smoking, that is more impactful than if a doctor does it, if someone else does it. So I really think this is our chance for youth to say, like, listen, let's put this pandemic behind us. Kids have suffered a lot this year in many different ways. and. I want next year school season to be in person and active and healthy and full of hugs and full of like <laughs> really great experiences. But to do that, we need as many people as possible to get vaccinated. And so I would really encourage uh, youth to share their thoughts and experiences with everything from their parents to their friends, to their parents, friends, the teachers, whoever, uh, because you guys are great about it. And you have connections in ways that we don't. Um, my kids are much better at social media than I am. Uh, and uh, <laughs> <these> messages. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, the youth, youth, they have more power than they give themselves. <laughs> they do. And more power than I think adults give them credit for. But I, you all, we've talked about this before, are the future of our state, of our country. Um, how you all respond to this pandemic is going to shape your future. If we have a lot of people hanging out with long COVID and long-term side effects, that's going to make healthcare more expensive. That's going to make businesses harder. That's going to make our economy slow down. You know, to have jobs that are healthy and productive and not have all sorts of other costs, we want healthy, active people. Um, and this really affects your generation more than it affects any other generation. Um, and so, really want to do everything we can to support you all to have a really healthy and happy future.
2: Yeah, and speaking about looking forward and kind of the future going onward from here. Um, more people are getting vaccinated and there's that threshold that Anchorage has been pushing for 70% of residents to get vaccinated. And why is that 70% so important? What's, what's the important about that number that changes the game?
0: Well, every single person that gets vaccinated helps. And that at every single level, you see that. So, you know, in Israel, we saw when you got 30% vaccinated, we really started a decrease in hospitalizations and deaths. When you're getting to 55%, you really saw a decrease overall cases. We see that in our data right now. Most of our, you know, people who are 65 and older are vaccinated. They make very few of our hospitalizations now just because they're not getting COVID. Most of our hospitalizations are our 20 to 30-year-olds now. And so every case matters. Different communities have set different goals. Uh, there's no magic that happens right at any one number. <laughs> um, I think there's been a lot of conversation about does this mean herd immunity? Is the virus going to like completely go away? The more people that are protected, the less chance the virus has to spread. You know, we've talked about this before a little bit with like dry wood and a forest fire. And if you don't have a place for that fire to jump, it burns out. It can't move further. So if it, this virus doesn't have a person it can live in and jump between, it dies out and it doesn't spread. And so the more people we vaccinated, the harder it becomes to spread. Um, and it doesn't have to be 100%. The herd immunity number depends on the transmissibility of the virus, um, and as well as the efficacy of the vaccines. And that depends on variants and the vaccine type. And as a result, it's a hard number to pin down. So it's hard to say at this number, we would have so many people that you didn't get it. Um, and so, you know, I think the goal is to get as many people vaccinated who want to get vaccinated make it as easy as possible. And Anchorage set their goal at 70%. I don't think it's an unreasonable goal we have 10 boroughs right now that are already at over 70 percent of eligible adults are vaccinated so uh there's lots of people who have gotten there and i don't doubt that anchorage can get there uh if we collectively work that direction
2: awesome yeah that pushing forward as many as possible i'm all for that <laughs> so tourism season is coming up and as a state that receives so many tourists and really thrives off that industry um how could that impact the status of the virus in Alaska statewide by having people internationally come or uh, domestically from the lower 48, especially if they're not coming from places that are highly vaccinated, how could that impact the situation of the virus?
0: Yeah, I think um, we'll see in some ways, it depends on how many people are vaccinated in Alaska and how many people come to Alaska vaccinated as well as what other tools are offered. So again, we continue to stand up free testing at the airport uh, that anyone can test when they come in. Before they go out, there's actually rapid testing at the airport that's free. So uh, if you're like debating if you wanted to go on a trip or like thinking about like, I don't wanna get stuck there. If I get to positive, you can get rapid tested at the airport uh, and just know right then. So we're trying to make that as easy as possible to minimize um, the spread overall economy and health are not opposite things. They are in it together. And you know, if you don't have a job, it's hard to have a roof over your head and it's hard to be able to have a healthy uh, lifestyle, to have food, to be able to make the decisions that you need to be able to be healthy and well. And we do, uh, our economy really depends on the summer. There's a lot of things that happen. As you mentioned, tourism is a lot of our economy. So it is important that people are economically well, as well as physically and mentally well. Those are all parts of overall being healthy and well. So I am hopeful that many of our communities will be, that's why it's really been sleeves up for summer in May, like get vaccinated before people come up here uh, so that you are protected. And then also so that your business doesn't have to change. You know, like I was talking to a a boat uh, captain, and he's like, wait, so if I'm vaccinated and I get a tourist who turns positive on my boat, I don't have to quarantine then because I was exposed to him. Like, absolutely. You keep doing your business. You keep your business open. And he was like, that is enough reason for me right there to get vaccinated. Like I got it. I got things to do this summer. So even with supporting tourism, uh, that's a big component. So we'll continue to uh, support testing. Uh, We are standing up vaccines at the airport this Saturday. Uh, So anyone can just come in and get vaccinated right there to make it as easy as possible. They can follow up with their second shot anywhere else. So you don't have to do it at the same place anymore. If you have friends and family who are coming in town to visit the summer and they're not vaccinated, you know, really remember it takes a while to build that immunity. So it takes, you know, a bit before they're fully protected, but uh, every single person worldwide who gets vaccinated makes us all better off. So trying to do our part for those who are coming into our state to, to make sure that's an
2: option too. And getting vaccinated, I know for me, was like a big relief. I was, a big worry was lifted. I'm sure you felt the same, especially as a healthcare worker. And, you know, you feel like you get some of your freedom back. So could you kind of talk about like what it means to be vaccinated, what people can start doing if you get vaccinated and then some mitigation strategies that sh- they should continue to practice, regardless of whether it's being like mandated by your city or wherever?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I was talking to my daughter the other night and she's like, mom, I love being vaccinated. <laughs> and I was like, why? And she was like, I can hang out with my friends in my room without a mask and do homework. She's like, if I am exposed, I don't have to quarantine. She was like, I just don't have to worry about getting sick in the same sort of way. She's like, this is the best ever. And I was like, I hear you. Um, and so <laughs> I'm like, a hundred percent. Meanwhile, my 13 year old is like jealous and a little, Vaccine envy. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, she's like not cool. Mine. I want to get vaccinated too. But so, if you're with other fully vaccinated people, you don't need to wear a mask and you don't need to socially distance. I got a sweet picture last night from a group of uh, high schoolers who had prom with other vaccinated friends. They were just like full of happy grins, arm in arm without masks, loving life. That is what post-vaccine world looks like. So you don't need to socially distance or mask with other fully vaccinated people. Until we get more people vaccinated, we are still asking that while you're out in public or around others to consider wearing a mask, particularly indoors. Outdoors is so much safer than indoors. If you're going for a run on your own, that's a really low risk scenario. Uh, so, you know, there's no big deal there unless you like it because it keeps your face warm, which was the case this winter, but less so this summer. Um, but if you're being indoors around other people, until we can get more people vaccinated, we are asking people to consider uh, that. But that's why we want people vaccinated, just the chance of being around other fully vaccinated people and not having to mask, not having to distance will be great. It'll be interesting to see what this fall looks like, like what percentage of vaccines we can get our schools up to. um, And if we can really like not have masking and not have distancing in schools this year. I think that's the big question in my mind. It really depends on what the uptake looks uh, like for vaccines. So I'm
2: hoping, I'm hoping for a much more normal school year next year. Definitely. My mom's a teacher and she's just like begging. She really wants to get back to normal. She's so happy that she's able to teach in person now, but she definitely is like, I want things to be back the way they were. Yeah
0: it's a lot of work. The teachers have been amazing and parents have been amazing and kids have been amazing at finding ways to be resilient and take on healthcare, take on vaccines, take on distancing and remote learning and the rest of it. Um, but we, we need our kids to be educated. I mean, you know, it's incredibly important that people are social. I feel like sometimes all of the stuff that we've asked people to do, like distance and not be together. is kind of like asking people to hold their breath. Like you can only do it for so long <laughs> and then people, we need each other and we need to be around each other. So, um, for our mental and physical well-being, we need to get back to that as quickly as possible
2: and vaccines are the way that we can do that. Definitely. So how do people navigate being able to not wear a mask and maybe the fear or stigma that may be still associated with not wearing one despite being fully vaccinated? Cause I know I'm fully vaccinated. But I'm like, mm, I should, I'm gonna I still kind of want to wear my mask. <laughs> so how do people navigate that?
0: I think it's I think it's challenging. Um and there are certain places it's still required, you know, such as like wearing going the plane businesses, you know, respecting that business and what that looks like. You know, if it's with friends or kind of uh in a different situation, it, it's a place where I've just started to ask, you know, like, hey, are you vaccinated? Do you want me to wear my mask? Do you want to wear your mask? Do you want to go inside, outside? I think it's just about setting expectations with your friends and family. Um It's, uh, I always have one in my pocket because I never really know. (laughs) And uh, I usually throw it on. And if people are like, oh, we're all vaccinated, you can take your mask off. I'm like, oh, okay, you're all fully vaccinated. So I'll take my mask off. Um, So I just kind of, I I start with it just on and then give people the option depending on kind of what it looks like um, from that end. But yeah, I think just like other things, there was a a quote that I heard recently. I think I actually have it. I think right here, what was it? Remember that we draw strength from one another and many are simply worn out. Be kind to each other and re-engage in self-care. But I loved that kind of quote and thinking about, um, we're worn out and being kind with one another, be it masking or distancing or what that looks like and just being kind as we kind of come out of this uh, pandemic and this year
2: together. Definitely, yeah. Can never be a shortage of kindness. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Really, especially not now. Um, so I know we talked in like our first episode what summer would look like for Alaska. That's crazy to think that that was almost a year ago that we talked <laughs> in our first episode. Um, and so now we're more than a year since the pandemic started. What is summer going to look like for Alaskans. I know we could get outside and enjoy the state that was kind of the situation last summer. But now that people are getting vaccinated. Can we have those Memorial Day cookouts the fourth of July barbecues. What? What is it looking like for those larger gatherings and bigger social interactions?
0: I think we can do a lot more of that this year. I think, you know, we can do a whole lot more. Outdoors is much safer than indoors. So at those Memorial Day barbecues, Fourth of July barbecues, I think are incredibly safe uh, and, and are kind of a go. Even if there are kids, there are a few people who are not vaccinated kind of within that group. Outdoors is a much safer spot. We've also learned since the last time we talked that kind of fomite transmission or transmission from objects is kind of less of a concern than we initially had concern about. Um, so it's still a really good idea to wash your hands, not drink out of each other's water bottles. Like that's always going to be a good health recommendation. <laughs> but um, I think that the, you know the like everyone having their own silverware, super spread apart, like for sil- you know for serving utensils and things like that. I think you know using one serving utensil to serve onto your plate and then washing your hands before you eat is just good basic hygiene regardless. Um, and I think you can do a lot more of that this year without having to worry about a lot of those kind of fomite mitigation. Insights a little bit more challenging, just a little bit more risk. Uh, our cases are going down. It's been humbling though, to see how quickly they can take off. So. Fairbanks recently was totally fine. They were doing really well and they got a big outbreak in younger people and their hospital became completely overwhelmed. They were running out of oxygen. We were looking for respiratory therapists for them. It was mainly 20 to 40 year olds, young people who are otherwise fairly healthy, who are being hospitalized for really extended periods of time. Same thing's happening in Ketchikan right now. Ketchikan has done fantastic the whole pandemic and they're at their highest case level ever right now. And so I think it is important to remember that we can do so much more but it's not gone <laughs> it's still here and particularly if you have a community or a group that's highly unvaccinated it can take off fast and so for that reason um we just um i think still need to to be mindful still need to hang on to a degree and to take reasonable precautions uh to make sure that we're not um you know, it'd be, it's sad when, um, you're someone who gets sick when you're so close to the end. Um, I admit patients all the time to the hospital who say I meant to get vaccinated and now they're sick with COVID. You don't want to be that person who meant to. Um, and just because COVID may not have affected your town or your community very much to this point, it doesn't mean that that couldn't change really quickly. Like it did in Petersburg, like it's doing a little bit in Ketchikan right now that it did in Fairbanks. So, um, I still think we need a bit of caution this summer.
2: Definitely. I was going to ask about that. How, you know, despite the fact that people are getting vaccinated, there have been lots of spikes in cases and it's, it's not gone. We're getting to the end, but it's still here. It is.
0: And it's really amongst unvaccinated people who are getting the, and it's not hundred percent, you know, again, the vaccine, you can still get it. Even if you've had the vaccine, it's just much less likely that you would get it. But unfortunately we are seeing, and is actually responding to an email today from a hospital administrator. She was like, it's humbling how quickly our system became overwhelmed so late in the pandemic um, and what that looks like. And then, you know, heart attacks and strokes are having to wait and be transferred out and the care isn't there. So it's still here, it's not done. I wish it was done. Um, I think we're all hoping for that day as quickly as possible. But um, just like the rest of the pandemic it's been what Alaskans choose to do. We have plenty of, like we could vaccinate every Alaskan 12 and above this month, if people chose to, we have enough vaccine in the state to do that. So just making sure people make the choice to get vaccine. Wow.
2: Um, So it's been over a year and it has been, an immense toll on everyone, especially healthcare workers and those who have lost someone to COVID or who got ill themselves. And so how do we start to heal and move on? I know the pandemic isn't over and we just talked about that, but as we're getting closer to the end, how can people begin to kind of let some of that go and maybe live a little?
0: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think we do need to be talking about it now. Um, I think part of it is just sharing our stories, and recognizing that we haven't all had the same experience. It's one thing to be in an earthquake altogether be like, we all felt that, <laughs> like, and this is how we're going to respond. But we all didn't feel COVID in the same way. Some people lost family and loved ones. Some people really didn't. Some people got very sick themselves. Other people didn't. Um, and so I think just recognizing that we've had different experiences with that, uh, and being able to share those experiences to be able to to move on, I think it's helpful to think about the things we've gained instead of always the things that we've lost. Um, I think that that is kind of a growth mindset that helps us to think about how we can keep moving on uh, and how we can continue growth. It's one of the amazing things I just think about humans in general is our ability to to grow and to respond to the challenges uh, that we have. And I think sometimes we sell ourselves short. We don't think we can adapt as well as we can, uh, but we are very adaptive and we can do hard things. And so I think uh, sharing our experiences, talking about the things we've gained, there's a great little um, commercial ad that I saw recently, and it was all these people and they had a sign up and it said like, like the way that COVID has been hard for them, and it was really kind of with the sad news and kind of depressing. And then they flipped the sign, and it was what they had gained or what they had learned during that experience. Um, and I just thought that was a really telling. Like we've all had things we've lost, we've all had things that we've gained. But how can we share that story? And can we really flip it to what we've gained? And where do we want to go moving forward? How can we collectively move to a better place of health and well-being moving forward?
2: Wonderful. Um, As always, thank you so much for being willing to speak with me. Is there anything that you really wanted to touch on or talk about that I didn't ask or cover for this episode? you do
0: such an amazing job asking fantastic questions. I really appreciate it. I get to speak to a lot of reporters, but you do an amazing job. And thank you. you. It's uh, it's always impressive, uh, the breadth and depth of things that you ask. So um, thank you. I'm very impressed. So, nope, not at all. I think you do a great job and I'm excited to share. And I'm really excited that you guys are getting this message out to youth um, because there is such a voice that you have. And I- want to elevate that voice in many ways you can, because this is, this is your future. This is your world and we owe it to you all to support you and to help make sure that you're healthy and well. So thank you for taking the time.
1: That was at me, senior producer, Danielle Duclos speaking with Alaska's chief medical officer, Dr. Ann Zink. You've been listening to podcast in place. Youth stories from quarantine from Alaska teen media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost. Stay tuned for more stories from quarantined youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including John O'Hara, James McCoy, and the Alaska Press Club. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like Me. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateenmedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Quinn White. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.